Good morning. Would you please pray with me for God's Spirit to illumine our hearts as we open his holy word today. Our Father and our God, as we stand or sit before you to hear your word read, your word preached, I just quake at the thought of standing in the pulpit sometimes to at the awesome responsibility. But I stand confident in the Holy Spirit that your word goes out and doesn't come back empty because your Holy Spirit is what speaks to the hearts of your people. Your Holy Spirit is what draws us to the cross, draws us to you in saving faith and repentance, nothing that we can bring, nothing we can conjure up within our own souls, but only through your grace. We pray that you would once again Bring down the ghost, open heaven, so that we may see the risen Christ in all his glory. In your name we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Haggai. We're going to return there and look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. I went to the JFK library on Thursday. I'd never been before. My sister was up visiting for three weeks from Atlanta and she was flying home Thursday, had a late afternoon flight. And she'd been bugging me about almost every day since she was here. Would you take me to Boston? I was like, I'll buy you a ticket to C&J to ride the shuttle down from Portsmouth. But driving in Boston is not one of those things you, you relish. <laughs> not as bad as Bucharest or Johannesburg. Those are, can be terrifying cities to drive in. Or Senegal would probably be my all-time worst experience. But it wasn't that bad. And I was actually really glad we went. Because it was, if you were alive at the time of JFK, there was a great excitement in the land. And not that Eisenhower was a bad president, but the youthful Kennedy vigor, the Camelot, and then what was accomplished, the Peace Corps, we stood up to the Russians at the Cuban Missile Crisis. We started to make real strides in civil rights. It's something to be proud of as an American, a real esprit de corps, that national fervor and that excitement, to be proud to be an American. And as I walked out, I felt this pathos come over me, just this sadness of thinking of, where are we now? Where are we? Just look around and the all-time low confidence in our elected leaders and in the society and our fellow man. And it made me think of the book of Haggai and the people that we talked about last week, how they had come back after the deportation 
after their exile, but they're still discouraged. You remember we talked about Haggai's first oracle, how he pronounced the, the woe upon them, that they were just self-centered and thinking about their own interests and not God's. But the people responded, responded and responded well. And then as this chapter opens, well, let's just read the first three verses and see what happened. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtal, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Remember the first oracle came, Haggai is very specific to date it, and the second oracle when the people responded and were filled with the Holy Spirit and started to obey 24 days later. And then this oracle comes, it's dated again another month later. And that's it, very good that Haggai does this. He's not just crossing I's and dotting T's here. He's really making a point. He's saying exactly when things happen. And this happens during the Feast of Tabernacles. That's kind of like our national holiday of Thanksgiving, where the people made pilgrimages to Jerusalem and celebrated the harvest that was, that was there. But they're discouraged. God had promised his presence in chapter 1, verse 13, but the temple is still in ruins. They're still under Persian rule. They're not autonomously ruling themselves. And there's poverty, want. Not much of a harvest. Not much to celebrate. But they did have the promise of God. They had the promise of his presence. They had God's spirit within them, within their leaders, the high priest, the governor, and the people. They had God's prophet, Haggai. But still, they looked at that temple, ruins, and God said, I'll bet you're looking at that thinking, it's never going to be anything like what Solomon built. I bet you're still really disappointed. To borrow a phrase from last week, are you one of these people? Are you one of these people? Just looking back, this is what we used to have. This is the way America used to be. This is the way my childhood was. This is the way my parents were. This is the way it is now and discouraged. Are you looking around at your situation to determine how God is? To determine God's character based on what you see around you or what's happened? Are you clinging to the promises God's given you? 
The glory appears gone. The glory appears to be gone. But do not despair, Haggai, and God say in verses 4 and 5. Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Fear not. God gives them two commands and three key eternal truths here. Be strong. We read that earlier. Be strong, he says to the governor. Be strong, he says to the high priest. Be strong, he says to the people. Work, he says. The temple is not going to build itself. This is your work to do. Moses had to construct the tabernacle. Solomon and tens of thousands of people built the first temple. You will have to rebuild this temple. Be strong. Work. And then three key truths. God is still with us. God is still with us. God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Moses. These are still in effect, even without a temple. But it's your responsibility to build that temple, to show the nations that God is at work. God is still with us. And then he says, his spirit is among you. God's spirit remains with his people. God's spirit remains because he is the keeper of the covenant. Covenants are always between two parties. Contracts, covenants, buying a house, selling something, agreeing to work for a certain amount. Always between two parties. But when God makes a covenant, what happens every time? Somebody always breaks the covenant. Who is it? It's me. It's each of us breaking the covenant. And God always keeps the covenant, keeps his spirit among us. God is still with us. His spirit is among you. And then he says, fear not. Yes, God used the nations to bring down the kingdom. He used Nebuchadnezzar. But God also uses the nations to restore the people to the land. Fear not. God is the one in control here. The glory appears gone. Do not despair. And then in verses 6 through 9, God's glory will again, again appear and will appear abundantly. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake the nations so that the treasures of the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, 
and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. God is about to act, he says in verse 6. It's going to come in a mighty way, a shaking. It's also repeated in verse 7. It's going to be worldwide and will have worldwide implications. But he also said, the little fine print there, it's going to happen on God's terms. In other words, in his own good time. You won't be able to force it. You're going to have to be patient for it. And then he says in verse 7, his shaking will be so vast, so worldwide, that the treasure of the nations will come in and it will cause God's glory to fill the temple. What's Haggai saying here? What is God referring to? I want to first deal with the glory and then the treasure. What was the greatest glory ever to come to earth. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Emmanuel, God with us, that literally means. Christ, the Messiah, Jesus. And when did this glory appear? It appeared at the time of Christ. And where did he go? He went to the temple. Think about that. The glory going into the temple. The true Lord of glory. But think about the last time the Lord of glory appeared in that temple. What was it like? Did he come as a conqueror? Did he come as a king to finally kick the Romans out of Jerusalem? No, he came as a sacrifice, as a lamb, as we read in, it's read in Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off and out of the land of the living, living stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Think about that. The Lord of glory, the lamb that was slain. But what is the ultimate glory of God? It is Christ himself. It is not a building, not a temple, but God himself. As we read in Revelation at the end times, what will the temple be like? And I saw no temple, John reads, or records in Revelation 21. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, 
and its light, light, its lamp is the Lamb. The glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The glory of God will come again. But what is that great treasure that's going to be brought into the temple? What's that great treasure? Exodus 19 tells us, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. When did God say that? When he's making the covenant at Sinai. Deuteronomy 7 tells us, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all peoples who are on the face of the earth. When did God say this? When he's renewing the covenant at the conquest, the beginning of the conquest of the nation. Malachi 3, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day I made up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves me. That's God renewing the covenant with the remnant coming back into the land. And then God said in 1 Peter 2, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The treasured possession coming in from the nations are the Gentiles, the believers in Christ, all those who God has ordained to eternal life. God is bringing into the kingdom, showing his glory, showing his love. And he repeats that in a seemingly inconspicuous verse in verse 8 when he says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine declares the Lord of hosts, saying that the treasure belongs to God. He makes the treasure. He causes the treasure to come into existence. He owns the treasure. And the treasure is of immense value, using the metaphor of gold and of silver. And then in verse 9, when the glory comes in, it will be a great glory. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. It will be greater than the glory that ever filled the temple or the tabernacles in the past. Exodus talked about that glory that filled the temple, the tabernacle. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord that filled the tabernacle. The glory that's coming will be greater than the glory that filled the temple when it was consecrated under Solomon. First Kings record, and when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, when Christ comes in his final return, it will be the most glorious ever. Read in Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened, 
I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations, and he will rule them with the rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the Almighty God. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I love that first verse where it says he came on a white horse. Think about the two other times Christ came in the belly of Mary, riding on a donkey into Bethlehem, riding again on a donkey into Jerusalem, what we call the triumphal entry, which didn't look too triumphal to the Romans. But here, the true glory revealed of how Christ will return one day. How Christ will return. In addition to the future glory to come in the person of Christ, there's also the promise of peace at the end of that passage. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Isaiah talks about this and prophesies that of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The promise of that peace, however, is one we need not wait on. Despite the turmoil around us, despite the wars and the crime, and the poverty all around us, Jesus promises, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. The glory of God appears gone. Do not despair. God's glory will again appear abundantly. It sounds rather straightforward. Just follow the text and come back next week and tell me how it went. No, we all know that life, sin, our struggle with our sanctification makes this so much harder. It's so hard at times. Are you discouraged? Why? Where are you looking for help? The JFK Library, to use a metaphor. Do not despair. Be strong, remember what God said. And we read that in Joshua this morning. It's repeated three times in this passage in Haggai and four times spoken to Joshua. And in Joshua's time, I would venture to say, much harder conditions, much harsher. A ragtag group of people coming out of the desert. This isn't an army. This is a bunch of shepherds with women and children. They're going to take over the land of Canaan. Where's their supply base? Where's their weaponry? Where's their organization? How are they going to do this? Think of the challenge they had. 
But God's saying over and over, be strong. And when he says that, he's not saying, do your burpees and your push-ups and calisthenics. He's not saying to get strong in your own strength. It's to be strong in Christ, to be strong in the Lord. And I would encourage you, if you're parents, be strong in your faith to your children. If you're a pastor, if you're one of the lay people here, one of the lay leaders, officers, Sunday school teachers, be strong in Christ. If you're one of the lay people here, be strong in your faith. We always think that the pastors are the ones that, you know, have to do all the work in the kingdom, or the elders. They're the ones that got to stand up and preach and tell people about Jesus. I had a friend of mine, or I have a friend of mine that uh, he's in a Bible study I'm with. I used to own a firearm store, and I have a little Bible study I do with four or five um, business people. Several of them happen to be shop owners of gun shops. And one of them said to me one day after breakfast, he said, I could never do what you do. And I said, well, maybe. I said, if God called you to preach, he'd somehow enable you to do it. Um, but you have a unique position where you're at. I said, there are people that will go into your store that are never going to darken the door of a church. And I said, that's your church. That's where you need to be strong in the faith. That's where you need to be telling people about Jesus. Do not despair, God says. Work. The temple is not going to build itself. Remember where God put man in the beginning? He put him in a land of Eden in a garden. He didn't just say, sit back and drink mint juleps and lay in your hammock and enjoy the garden. He said, work. It's going to be hard. You got to do it. I mean, that's, plants are going to grow, but you've got to tend to it. Be fruitful. Be multiplied. Just like I said last week in Philippians, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. But remember, it's God, the one that's working in you, both to will and to do. God is still with us. Remember what he said in Joshua? I will never leave you or forsake you. That's not just to Joshua. That wasn't just to Peter, James, and John. That's to all the saints for all eternity. I will never leave you or forsake you. His spirit is still among you. Where did the spirit of God first appear? Genesis 1, verse 2. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I'm sorry, but I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it said God's Spirit has left the earth, that it's no longer here and you've got to just do it on your own. God's Spirit is not only here, but Ephesians said is in your heart. It is given to you as a deposit, using a financial term, that I'm coming back for you. I love how Psalms puts it, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and all those who dwell therein. And then he says, fear not. Fear not, Abram, for I am your shield. What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, God said to Isaac. 
And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord at the edge of the Red Sea with the army of Pharaoh in front behind them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. He said that in Joshua chapter 10, just before he caused the sun to stand still. But the Lord said to Gideon, Peace be to you, do not fear. Isaiah tells us, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the righteousness of my right hand. God's glory will appear, appear again and appear abundantly. God's glory has already appeared abundantly in the past. Look at Eden. Remember last week we talked about the end of the day. What would happen? God would walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. Remember, imagine what that'd be like. You get out of work, check your time card, you spend time walking with God. But God's glory is abundantly here now. I love this little verse in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, and this is a sermon in itself, but I won't preach it today. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image. When we look at the glory of God, we look at the face of Jesus, we're being transformed into that same image. It does say, however, in the next phrase, from one degree of glory to another. Sometimes it's very slow in coming. We sometimes look at our lives and say, am I ever going to grow in my faith? Am I ever going to stop sinning? Am I ever going to show fruit? No, it says we are being transformed into that same image. We are. Not that we hope to be or we might, but those who are in Christ are being transformed into that image from one degree of glory to another. And the best part of the verse, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is God's gift to you, the Holy Spirit, changing you, conforming you to the image of Christ. His glories appeared in the past. In Eden, it's here now, and it will forever be abundantly apparent in the future. It will ever be abundantly in the future. Read in Revelation 5, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. Christ, that King of Kings. Remember two chapters ago, the sword dripping in blood, the white horse? What do we really see? We see a lamb standing as though it had been slain. 
And he went out and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp. I guess there will be harps in heaven. And a golden bowl full of incense, which are your prayers, the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's that treasure coming into the temple. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And I looked. And I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. There's that glory. The glory of Christ in the temple of God, in the heavenly realm. Where does this glory start to appear for you? Where does that glory start to appear for you? Or are you thinking, I'm beyond hope, despair in your life, nowhere to turn? Beloved, if you're there today in despair where do I go for help just think about the thief on the cross where could he have gone he was at the end of his road where could he have gone and when he appeared in heaven moments after he died I could just imagine what it was like with the angels saying, why are you here? How'd you get here? I don't know. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Did you go to synagogue? No. Did you read your Torah? No. How are you here? I don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? He said, well, as I was dying, the man on the middle cross said I could come. The man on the middle cross said I could come. Are you seeking to see the ultimate glory of God, which is Christ? Are you seeking to see the glory of God? For we see in a mirror dimly, but then, like that thief, face to face, now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. I want to close with the story of a group of men and women who, they could have spent their lives looking back at the past glory they had known, thinking about the miracles they had seen. Now they're confused, 
They're doubting. They're scared. What's happening? What is Jesus saying? I'm going away. And when he leaves, when he leaves, what was their response? They've spent three years with him. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the dead raised. They've seen the thousands fed. But Jesus has been taken to heaven. What was their response? What would have been your response? Sadness, loneliness, more doubt, confusion, sense of abandonment. Luke tells us they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Great joy. Great Luke, are you nuts? They great joy. They just lost Jesus forever. They had seen the Son of God incarnate in the flesh, the Son of Man. They'd seen the miracles, the wonders. They'd seen him crucified. They'd seen him victorious. But it wasn't until the ascension and the coronation of Jesus that their sorrow turns to great joy. Why? Because it was at that point they caught, if only for a moment, They saw Jesus in all his glory being received into heaven where he's always been and will always be. That's all they needed was to see the King of kings, the Lord of lords. That's the glory that awaits us whose hope is in Christ. Oh, gracious Father. Cause us to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face. And may the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's in your precious son's name we pray.